is the Homestead Journey Podcast, the podcast dedicated to the pursuit of self-sufficiency, self-reliance, and sustainability. This is episode number 78 of the Homestead Journey Podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am so glad that you have found us, and I just appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedules to join us here on the Homestead Journey. My name is Brian Wells. I am coming to you from 3B Farm and Homestead here in beautiful upstate New York. And folks, it has been an absolutely gorgeous week here on the Homestead. In fact, it's felt more like summer this week than it actually has spring. But they are saying that tomorrow it is supposed to be more spring-like conditions. And quite frankly, that's not going to break my heart too much. Uh, I I do enjoy spring and I enjoy those cooler evenings and warmer days. And I'm not looking, I'm looking forward to summer. Don't get me wrong, but let's enjoy spring first. (laughs) Anyhow, let's hop on over to this week's Homestead Happenings. And I will bring you up to speed with what we've been doing here on 3B Farm and Homestead. So first of all, let me provide you with an animal update. So everybody is doing well here on the farm. All of the new animals are doing well. The chicks and turkeys are getting fat and sassy. In fact, I had to put up the board in the doorway uh, this week because the chicks were wanting to jump out when we would open the door to the mobile coop. And so I've got this board that I put in place, just a piece of plywood that makes them have to work add it a little bit longer. So we're not having to go fish for chicks underneath the mobile coop. Um, the baby pigs are doing really, really well. And the sows are just doing such a great job of co-mothering them. It's it's kind of funny when I walk out there and one sow will be laying in the, in the yard because it's been such a sunny week this week. So she'll be laying in the yard and the piglets will be going to town. And the other one's kind of walking around doing her thing. And then I'll come back five minutes later and the other one is laying down and the piglets are going to town and the other one's up walking around kind of doing her thing. So it's kind of funny to watch them co-mother. And I've also seen them inside the shelter kind of belly to belly. And it seems like the piglets are just alternating from nipple to nipple. (laughs) from fountain to fountain. So anyhow, they're doing very, very well. I also thought I would give you an update on the seed starting system. Things in the seed starting system are, they're just popping right now. Um, Things are coming up just fast and furious. In fact, tomorrow I am going to need to thin out the tomato plants. Uh, A few of the tomatoes, I actually sowed extra seeds on purpose Now I'm kind of regretting it because that means I'm going to either have to pot them on or I'm going to have to, I don't know. I haven't made up my mind whether or not I'm going to try to pot them on or if I'm just going to trim things out and leave just one strong seedling. So still got to make up my mind on that, but uh, they are looking well. Now I did have a near disaster (laughs) and that is I forgot to water one of the trays of peppers. And I was walking by it yesterday morning, I believe it was, and I noticed that one of the pepper plants was just really curled up. And that was kind of the indicator to me, wait a minute, buddy, you have messed up here. You've done messed up. 
And so I grabbed some water and put water in it and I got them in time. They have perked right back up and everything looks great in that tray. Um, the brassicas that I planted last weekend that I started last weekend are up. The ones that I actually started for my dad early this week are up. And, uh, so things are just really, really popping. The only one where things haven't germinated too much. And I'm, I don't know. It was some old, old seed that somebody gave me. So who knows, maybe nothing will pop up, but it's the tray of death. <laughs> the tray that has all of those wicked hot peppers, the ghost peppers and the habaneros and the scorpions and just all kinds of burn your pooper kind of um, hot peppers, the tray of death. I, I haven't had much germination, but peppers do take longer to germinate. And these were older seeds. So we'll see what happens, but if nothing comes up, no big deal. I wasn't banking on those anyhow. And so those were just going to be something fun to play around with. I also did uh, start some more things this week. So I started some flowers and I started some, um, see some more brassicas. I started some kohlrabi and some herbs. So I was starting to run out of room in the seed starting system. So the onions have been relegated to the front porch. I hardened them off. And they are now out on the front porch and really ready to be planted at any time now. So, um, yeah, things are looking great and I'm just so excited. I was actually able to get some gardening in this week. It was so warm, went out and, uh, started doing some cleanup in the raised beds. I got all of the sugar snap peas, um, planted. I got some shucking peas planted in the root stout bed. I have some radishes and anything else? Maybe just radishes and the sugar snap peas right now up in the raised beds and the square foot beds. And then hoping to get some carrots and spinach planted tomorrow and maybe some lettuce. One other thing that I did this week that was kind of bittersweet. And if you follow us on Facebook and Instagram, you will have seen pictures of some truckloads of homesteading junk or homesteading treasures depending on how you look at it. But it was really a lot of lumber um, that my grandfather had squirreled away over the years, a lot of uh, roofing tin and some other odds and ends that he had just kind of saved over the years. My aunt recently put her house on the market and uh, her house is kind of the other half of the property that my grandfather used to own. And so we're cleaning everything out, got a dumpster in down there and so it was kind of just bittersweet. I was very, very thankful because with the price of lumber right now, um, definitely very thankful to be able to get all of that stuff. But even beyond that, there's just a certain sentimental, I'm just a sentimental old fool. And uh, so when I go to build things out of these bits and bobs, these random pieces of wood, I'll be thinking about my grandfather. And I hope he's looking down and saying, Brian, keep up the good work. Well, today was a very, very busy day with all of the gardening stuff that I had going on. Probably the best part of the day today was 20 minutes that I spent sitting on the front porch, hanging out with my son. I was on my way up to the garden to start planting some things. And as I was walking by the front porch, he had been busy cleaning it off, getting out the, the patio furniture and getting it all set up for the summer. And I noticed there was a jug of water with a couple of glasses there. And so I said, hey, bud, you planning on us having some water? He said, yeah, you want to join me? 
And so I went over and sat down and had a tall glass of water with my son. And as we were hanging out there, he said to me, dad, you know what? I really like hanging out with you. Folks, he's 16. He just started a part-time job and uh, doing very, very well at it. And my guess is this summer, I'm not going to see a whole lot of him because he'll be working a lot of evenings. And so I'll come home and he'll probably already at work. And it was just, it was just very, very nice for me to be able to spend a few moments with him, just chatting and enjoying the homestead. And then to hear him say, dad, I like hanging out with you. That's pretty awesome. Before we head on over to this week's Charting the Course, I did want to give you an update on the upcoming challenge. Now, I don't have all of my ducks in a row yet. I'm hoping to finish that up tomorrow evening once that meeting is over. And so look for a bonus episode this coming week. I promise you, this coming week, there's going to be a bonus episode that's going to drop, that's going to have all of the details in it on how you can sign up for this challenge that's coming up. Now, this challenge is going to be five days of me going live, providing some teaching, mentoring, training, encouragement, specifically for people who want to homestead but think that they can't or really aren't sure how to get started. And my goal, folks, my goal is to just help people take that first step. Now, if you're somebody that's already started your homestead journey, but you're kind of stuck and you don't know where to go from here, I'm more than happy to have you. I think you're going to find value in it too. My hope is, is at the end of the week, after five days of us being together, you're going to have a roadmap, a plan that you're going to be able to action to take your next right step. Or for some people, it may be the first right step on your journey towards self-sufficiency, self-reliance, and sustainability. And folks, this is absolutely free. Absolutely free. I'll be going live from 7 to 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, starting April 26th. So go ahead, block that out on your calendar. And then if you want to be the first ones to know, the first ones to know how to sign up, Send me an email, brian at thehomesteadjourney.net, and I will make sure that you are the first to know when the sign-up is open. So you will know before the bonus episode drops, you'll be the first one to be able to get your foot in the door, and I just think it's going to be a great week. I'm excited about it, pumped up, just raring to go, and so I'm hoping to have all of the ducks in a row by tomorrow evening. And then that bonus episode is going to drop this coming week, the announcement with all of the details on how you can sign up. But if you want to be the first to know, then send me an email, brian at thehomesteadjourney.net, and I will make sure that you are one of the first to know how to get signed up for this five-day challenge. All right, folks, let's jump on over to this week's Charting the Course. This week's Charting the Course actually came about from an email that I received from a listener by the name of Jeremiah. Jeremiah said this, I've only just found your podcast and I'm interested if you can suggest what portions of homesteading might provide the best return. 
I'm looking to supplement my income in order to be home more. I live in a small city on a 0.85 acres lot, so there are limits on what we can do. I'd like to make the most of what we have, but tend to analyze a lot and hesitate on making a move. Looking forward to your upcoming teaching on how to plan our homestead and get started. Well, first of all, Jeremiah, thank you very much for your email. And folks, if you want to be like Jeremiah and be the first to know about the upcoming challenge, you know what to do. Send me an email, brian at thehomesteadjourney.net, and you will be like Jeremiah and be one of the first to know when registration opens for the challenge. But anyhow, beyond that, uh, what I did is I went ahead and replied back to Jeremiah, and this was my reply. It is very difficult for me to say what might work in your area as far as profitability. What works in one area might not work in another. For example, I see many people like Joel Salatin, for example, who are raising and selling broilers profitably. That did not work in my area. Most people in my area who raise broilers take them to New York City to sell them because in my rural area, people can't or won't pay the premium for pasture-raised birds. Some of it also depends on your distribution channels. While farmers' markets are nice, they are a heavy commitment time-wise, and many of them require payments to rent a stall. So unless you are selling mass quantities of something and you are willing to spend every Saturday or Sunday or midweek night at a market, it might be difficult to turn a profit. However, simply selling using a roadside stand might also be troublesome depending on how safe of a neighborhood you live in. I have sold eggs from an unmanned egg box for probably five years without issue. However, in 2019, I had someone break into the cash box, steal the money, steal the eggs that were in the egg box, and steal one of two ice packs that I had in there. It does seem to me that if you can establish a good distribution channel, health food stores, independent grocery stores, restaurants, etc., many people are able to make fairly decent money selling microgreens and herbs. These items don't take a lot of room to grow. Some can be grown hydroponically in very space-saving setups. However, it does require establishing relationships with outlets to sell them, and there is a bit of a science that is out of my wheelhouse on how to grow them in succession and in ways to maximize profits. Depending on where you live, cottage industry type things might also be a good fit. Baked goods, jams and jellies and pickles are things that you might be able to make and sell depending on local food laws. You also may be able to make custom spice mixes or soaps. Do you have a hobby that you could turn into a side hustle? Probably my best advice to you is to see what the needs are in your community and then see if you can fill it. You may want to contact some high-end restaurants in your area and see what kinds of things they are looking for. Especially look for restaurants that are doing the farm-to-table thing and look for independent grocery stores and health food stores and see what their needs might be. Best of luck, Brian. So as I thought about this question more after emailing Jeremiah back, I got to thinking that this really would be a good candidate for a full episode. Now, while I did try to answer the question, should my homestead make money back on episode 74? And the answer was maybe. (laughs) I didn't really get too much into how a homestead could make you money. And so I thought that maybe sharing this with other people could be beneficial. But the other reason for turning this into a podcast episode is that as I really thought about this more this week, and I really reflected on my answer to Jeremiah, I felt that my answer to him was a bit incomplete. 
Now, certainly I do stand by my original answer. I strongly believe that what might be profitable for one homestead may not be profitable for another. There's just so many variables based on where you live, the socioeconomic situation, and so forth. As I mentioned, meat birds didn't work out for me. Some of it has to do with my area, but some of it has to do with my distribution system. I wasn't willing to make the commitment to a farmer's market or a CSA. Had I done that, I probably could have made it into a profitable venture, but I wasn't willing to do that. Speaking of distribution channels, I think that it's very important for you to understand how you plan on distributing your product because that can impact how you go about business, especially if you are taking your cues from people that uh, you find on the internet that live in areas different than you do. For example, Jason Smith over at Cog Hill Farm used to raise chickens and sell them directly to a restaurant and catering system after he and his wife processed the birds at home. However, he lives in Alabama. And as you know, I live here in beautiful upstate New York. It would never work here. And the reason why it would never work here is because the laws regulating how chickens sold to retail outlets such as stores and restaurants dictate that birds have to be processed in a state certified slaughterhouse known as a 5A slaughterhouse. Now, you can build your own 5A slaughterhouse. However, the cost of doing so is going to mean that you're going to have to sell a lot of birds. There's a lot of red tape. There's state inspections that have to happen. There's just a lot of overhead that comes along with doing that. So if I'm going to raise meat birds and sell them to a restaurant or to a catering service in New York State, I have to figure in having somebody else process my birds as far as whether or not it's going to be a profitable venture. But beyond that, here in New York State, I can sell up to 1,000 poultry. That'd be a combination of chickens, turkeys, geese, ducks. I'm not sure what else falls underneath the poultry designation, but I can only sell up to a thousand of those direct to consumers before the state says, now you have to have those birds processed in a 5A certified slaughterhouse. So again, keeping in mind, you've got to know the rules that govern how you plan on marketing your product because that may greatly impact the feasibility and the profitability of your venture. Now, in my original response to Jeremiah, I do think that my two best pieces of advice, and I know that sounds maybe a bit arrogant, but the two best pieces of advice that I gave him were these. First, figure out what needs your community has. If there are already 10 farms in your area doing meat chickens, you may not want to be number 11. If there are a ton of people selling soap in your area, you may want to look at doing something else. The other piece of, I'm going to call it great advice <laughs> that I gave Jeremiah was to think about hobbies or skills that he already has that he might be able to turn into a side hustle. Many times people who are getting into homesteading think that the only way for them to make money on their homestead is to do homesteading things. So growing veggies or raising meat or uh, generating eggs or baking bread and the list goes on and on. But do you have hobbies or passions that are kind of pre-homestead? 
Do you know how to play an instrument? If you do, could you give music lessons? Uh, do you know how to sew? If you do, could you make alterations to people's clothes? Do you enjoy working out? If so, could you be a personal trainer? So if you have a hobby or a passion that already exists, a skill that you already have, maybe it's not directly homesteading related, but is there a way that you can monetize that and fill a need in your community and make money? Now, that's not to say that you can't or shouldn't learn new skills and perhaps monetize them. Maybe your area does have a need for pasture-raised chickens, and maybe you've never done it before. But just because you haven't done it before doesn't mean that you shouldn't at least consider doing it. Now, be careful. Be careful about going too big too quickly. It's one thing to do all of the research. And know that based on, for example, what Joel Salatin says, that 14 bags of feed should raise a batch of 50 broilers from start to finish. It's another thing for you to raise birds in your area from start to finish. My guess is that your first several batches of meat chickens, it will take more than 14 bags of feed. You're probably not going to be getting your chicks from the same source as Joel Salatin. Your climate is probably going to be different. You may not have as optimal of grass for the birds to be raised on, and you're probably not going to be using the same feed. And also, because you're new to this, you're going to screw up. And I don't say that disparagingly. I say that because you don't know what you don't know. And so you're probably going to see greater losses than what Joel Salatin does. You may have different predator pressure. And so before you go out and you contract with a farmer's market to reserve a stall, you might want to raise a few batches of meat birds. Before you make agreements with restaurants or before you decide to have a CSA, you probably want to actually raise some birds yourself and learn the skills and have the knowledge before you decide that you're going to turn it into a business venture. But this is the other thing to keep in mind. And this is where I really felt like I failed Jeremiah. Looking at just profitability to me is a very myopic perspective of generating revenue from your homestead. In my opinion, you should at least like and hopefully enjoy what you're doing as well. If you raise a couple of batches of meat chickens and you decide you don't like doing it, then my advice is don't go into the meat chicken business. Many people who want to generate revenue from their homesteads want to do so because they hate their corporate jobs and they want to leave them. But why leave one job that you hate for another job that you hate? That doesn't make any sense to me. That doesn't sound very profitable to me. You know, I have a friend who does, she's got this hot side hustle that she's got going on where she does this shabby chic thing and she is um, taking old cast off furniture. She's rehabbing it. She's painting it. She does some really, really cool things. And there have been times when I looked at that and I thought, boy, I really like what she's doing. It's beautiful. And I think I could do that. And then I remember something. I hate to paint. I absolutely hate to paint. And then I say that I hate to paint. One more time, just for the record, I hate to paint. So why in the world would I go into that business? 
where a big part of what you do is paint stuff. And it's not just slapping paint on the wall. It's very detailed stuff and distressing things and coming up with that. You know, that look, that shabby chic look that it takes a long time to kind of make it look like it's been, you know what I'm talking about. That would drive me nuts. So why in the world would I go into that line of business? Well, it may be profitable and I have no idea how profitable it is for her. I know she enjoys it. I just know it wouldn't bring joy to me. So why do it if I don't like it? But not only do you need to be aware of your likes and dislikes, you also need to be aware of your limitations. So Jeremiah stated that he has 0.85 acres to work with. That means that he's probably not going to be raising beef cattle. He's probably not going to be raising a bunch of pigs, especially if he's in an urban area, which he seemed to indicate. He might be able to run a couple of batches of meat birds but I doubt it's going to be enough for him to replace his full-time income. He might be able to do some market gardening with salad greens and such, because that, from what I understand, in some areas is relatively profitable. But if he wants to raise a garden with enough food for his family to eat almost year-round, being a market gardener is probably going to be kind of tough. Beyond land limitations, you also need to be aware of your time constraints. If you're working 60 hours a week at your day job, Doing a farmer's market every week simply may not be a good fit. And you just got to be honest about that. Right now, maybe in the future I want to do it, but right now I just don't have the time to do it. You also need to know your financial constraints. If something has a high startup cost and you're not sure you have the skills to do it or that you'd like to do it, then maybe you need to just skip doing it for now and not invest a whole bunch of money into it and then decide, uh, this isn't for me. But beyond that, you need to be honest with yourself and know your personal limitations. If you're someone who cannot stand the sight of blood, then probably having a business of raising meat birds and processing them by yourself or at your homestead, not going to be a good idea. Now, you may be able to contract with somebody else to have them process the meat birds for you, but you're going to have to factor that into your overall profitability. So to sum it all up, I think there are many ways that you can make money on your homestead by monetizing skills and passions that you already have. But if you want to use your homestead to generate products you can sell, make sure you're actually scratching an itch. <laughs> make sure you're actually filling a need that your community has. Make sure that you have the skills and the knowledge that you need before you jump in too far. Understand your limitations. But most of all, make sure you're going to enjoy it. Don't trade one crappy job for another. Not only will you be miserable, my guess is you won't last. So what's the point? All right, that's it for this week's episode, folks. If you've got any questions or comments, reach out to me, brian at thehomesteadjourney.net. I'd be glad to answer them. Jeremiah, I hope you found that helpful and maybe this provided you a little bit more insight than my quick little email did. As I said earlier, if you want to be one of the first to know about the five-day challenge when registration opens up for that, send me an email, brian at thehomesteadjourney.net. And uh, I will make sure that you are notified. If you haven't already, please leave me a review. I would greatly appreciate that. That will help other people find the show. As always, the music on this episode was provided by audionautics.com. So a big shout out to them. 
And until next time, everybody, keep up the good work.